This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast is brought to you by Fly Racing. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass Podcast presented by Fly Racing and Rental. On today's show, we're going to look back at the action from the Dutch TT. Steve English, David Emmett and Neil Morrison on the show today. And uh, David, I'll tell you what, we're recording this on Monday afternoon. It's only a few hours after the news broke that Maverick Vinales was going to leave Yamaha at the end of this season. Just out of curiosity, how much sleep did you get before that press release came out? Uh, um, not as much as I should have, but more than I expected because I was I, I, I went to bed a little earlier than normal. Neil, I did notice you were one of the first to tweet about it, so you were clearly already on your road down to Amsterdam, presumably. Yes, I've been on the on the go since uh, early this morning, Steve. Slightly uh, jealous of some of my colleagues that were checking out, going on their holidays as of last night. Uh, still a few days of work ahead for, uh, I think, Dave and I, but... Um, yeah, otherwise, otherwise all good. Yeah, fair bit of work to get through as well. Obviously, Adam Wheeler not on today's show. That's because there's a new issue of on-track on off-road coming out this week. So that obviously means, Dave, that uh, you've been able to get your blog written for Adam. That's clearly been boxed off at this stage. But uh, what, what's the big topic for that? Uh, actually, the big topic, because um, uh, me and Neil got together and uh, and uh, cooperated on this, and so Neil's going to write about Maverick Vinales, and I'm going to write about um, what Maverick Vinales leaving means for everything else. Okay, well, that's going to tie in nicely with today's show. We're going to have a slightly different format on this week's Paddock Pass podcast, and the reason for that is the news was just too big about Maverick Vinales to have our usual post-Grand Prix format. And Neil, David's after saying there that uh, your blog for Adam is uh, is about Maverick and that situation. What do you glean from it, and, and what was the the feeling within the paddock over the course of the weekend? Um, it was definitely a feeling of shock. Um, I don't think anyone really saw this coming. We knew things were not going well in that garage, but um, I don't think any of us realised just how uh, fractious um, things have become um, in recent weeks. Um, so there was definitely a bit of shock there, and it's fair to say that Maverick has taken a big old risk by doing this. I mean, he's leaving um, a team that um, I'm sure he imagined at the start of this year was going to be his team now that Valentino Rossi has, uh, has moved aside. Um, and, uh, you know, his options are not that plentiful. I mean, we're, we're really looking at either Aprilia. Um, I know you said that there's a, there's maybe even a chance of um, VR46 Ducati, but um, I think Aprilia is probably the more likely one. Um, and yes, Aprilia's made big improvements um, over the last couple of months, but uh, for Maverick to put his trust in them is, uh, I think it represents a fairly big risk. So shock at the split, shock at where he could potentially be going uh, next year, and um, just a bit of befuddlement really um, over some of his motivations. And, uh, you know, we're yet to hear really Maverick's full side of the story because uh, he's been a little bit... Um, I don't know how you would say it. He hasn't been so concise, so clear exactly with uh, with his words in the aftermath. Yeah, I mean, the Mavericks press conference was the one of the most bizarre things I've listened to for a while. The actual, um, because when we attend them at home, we're uh, sitting there with a Zoom camera focused on all three and the body language was completely bizarre um they were all sort of ignoring each other maverick vinales really didn't want to be there and then he answered questions about aprilia about sort of seven times and each time he gave us a, a different answer saying something slightly different um with and still managing not to convey any actual information um uh, maverick is not really cut out for this uh, uh 
pressed malarkey. Um, he's not very good at uh, just either outright lying or saying, I won't answer questions about it, which is what uh, Alicia Spargo did in his debrief. when he, The first question was, you know, so what about Maverick coming to race, work, race with you? And he said, I won't answer any questions about Maverick. And later on, he went on to say, well, at least it's good that, you know, they're, they're, uh, we can attract a good rider now. Yeah, we're obviously going to answer a lot of questions about Maverick on this show, aren't we, though? <laughs> uh, we might. We might touch upon it briefly. Well, I'll tell you what, Neil, you've uh, already mentioned there about the Aprilia rumours. Obviously, they started to come in on Saturday night. We were actually recording Paddock Notes on Saturday for our Patreon supporters, just as that news started to break. And at the time, we were talking in terms of it makes sense in some ways and no sense in other ways. You're giving up what's effectively been looked at as being the best bike on the grid at different times over the last few years. You're in a full factory team. And then you've got the chance to come out of that while earning 5 million euros at the very least next year to then go to Aprilia, a manufacturer that's on the up, but uh, one that is still looking for that next step to have their first podium in what, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big risk. Um, as I said, like, uh, yeah, Aprilia have done some fantastic improvement over the, over the last 12 months. Um, the project is definitely heading in the right direction. Um, but for Maverick to be, you know, one of the, 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 the top riders on the grid um, to put his trust in that, um, obviously he doesn't have like loads of options at, at the moment, but um, it still, still represents quite a big risk and quite a big leap of faith on his part. Um, I'm sure he's looking at it thinking, I was teammates to Alicia Spargo in 2015 and 2016, and I beat him comfortably in 2016. I'm a better rider. That's just the way riders think, obviously. Um, so he's probably looking at Alish and the prettiest massive improvements and thinking I could put that bike on the podium, as well as being the perhaps central point of that team. The only thing is that... Um, you know, Alessio Spargo is a, is kind of a big deal in Aprilia and has really made that team his own in recent years. Um, he also has quite a uh, unique riding style. I think we can say over the last couple of years, none of Alessio Spargo's teammates have ever really gotten on that well with the RSGP. And yes, okay, this year it is a much improved machine and seems a bit more rounded. Um, but yeah, there's lots of question marks there. Um, will he be competitive? How would he fit in with the team? How would he adapt? Uh, yeah, there's there's lots of unknowns. David, obviously, the decision to walk away from €5 million Euros is big. It doesn't matter how much money you've earned at different times, and Vinales has earned well. To walk away from €5 million quid, it's not something we see too often. I know I'm a bit of an outlier in this, but for them, it's not really about money. It's about winning. You know, they would... they uh, The only reason that they want a lot of money is uh, so they earn more than anyone else. Uh, you know, you could literally... Like, if Mark Marquez was getting 25 uh, euros a uh, uh, a month, then everyone else would want 30 euros a month. They wouldn't necessarily be going straight in with the millions. The only thing that matters is that the number is bigger than all the other riders' numbers. Um, so, yeah, money is not... Is, I don't think it's about money. I think it's much more about um, believing he can win. I think you underestimate that, Dave, completely. Because I know from talking to different riders and different championships, money isn't the most important thing, but it's the most important thing when results aren't good. And riders want to just look at it and say, you know what, actually, I'm still getting well paid for this job. I'm still able to bank an awful lot. They give up a lot of money and leave that at the table if there were guaranteed wins and a championship and this, that and the other. But for Vinales, as he sits right now, you know, he's looking at it and there has to be there has to be a good opportunity for him, I think, to be able to, to sit up on that money. There's two ways of looking at that, though, uh, Steve. One of them is to say, um, you know, 
uh, money matters when you when the results aren't coming. Um, why would he move away from uh, Yamaha? He would move away from Yamaha because he doesn't believe that the results were co- that he can actually win on a on a Yamaha. That's the trouble. He says that he's been complaining about uh, this lack of rear grip, not being able to do anything, um, and not being able to get the bike to work the way that he wants to. That it works okay when the when there's grip on the track and there isn't when there isn't on the track. Uh, so he's basically just given up on Yamaha. So he's saying. You know, this bike's no good. I can't work with Yamaha. Let's do something else. Neil, moneymatters.com. Would you take financial advice from David Amish? Uh I think I would, yeah, judging by the manner in which he uh, came down to visit us. I uh, just thought that Aston last week, yeah, on his uh, big motorcycle. Yeah, the, the number of gifts that uh, he brought with him. I would say, yeah, I would definitely take financial advice from that. Yeah, I, I, I spent some uh, upwards of 15 euros on all those gifts, I would point out. Oh, the, the opulence of the Paddock Pass podcast. The, oh, the gifts like that are only made possible by our Patreon supporters at patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass podcast, obviously enough. But uh, Neil, just when you when you look at the Vinales situation, obviously you've mentioned there the Aprilia and the steps that Aprilia have made. They have made significant steps. There's huge resources available to Aprilia through the Piaggio brand. There is an awful lot of potential in that project. And we're still at the point where because Aleish isn't really a known quantity. It's amazing that he's got so many Grand Prix starts under his belt with no one really knowing how good he is. If Vinales did go to Aprilia, Aprilia would then really be left with no place to hide. We'd have a top-line rider on the bike. We'd really be able to understand it. But the other element of that as well is Vinales would go to a situation where there's no pressure on him. And if you look back over the years for Maverick, whether it was in 125s, he came in and he was amazing right from the start. No pressure in that situation. The next year in Moto Two, and sorry, Moto Three, there was a lot of expectation on him, and he ended up falling out with his team. You know, suddenly for Vinales, in a lot of times when the pressure's been on and really ramped up, it has been a big issue for him. This could be a situation where he goes into it, and suddenly, if he's able to get good results, he looks like a legend again. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, I'm starting to think that um, it, it is a good idea. That uh, that he leaves just because it, it appears that um, well, once he becomes convinced that he can't win there, then what's the point in hanging around? Um, it also um, became quite obvious from listening to um, Maya Marigali, who was speaking to BT Sport on Sunday, I think, or maybe Saturday night. Um, basically, that the team were becoming more and more baffled by Maverick's performances. Um, so there was clearly a, a real rupture there. Um, you know, Maverick not believing. Uh, that the team were taking him seriously, that they were giving him what he wanted. Um, and the team, I think, quite justifiably asking, how can certain things that you're doing be possible? I mean, for example, how can he finish last at the Saxon ring when he, if you look at the fastest laps that each rider said, he was the fastest Yamaha. Um, so, so some of his some of his comments that, you know, the bike wasn't working and all this kind of stuff, well, you want the fastest Yamaha. And... There are other riders on the grid that had terrible qualifiers at the um, at the Saxon Ring, and okay, they weren't on Yamaha's. Franco Morbidelli suffered a similar fate, but there was uh, a lot of that you feel was Maverick's own doing. Um, so I think there's kind of a, a bit of pin, uh, finger pointing going on from Vinales. He was saying that he was using the setting on I think Saturday morning at the Saxon Ring when he crashed, which uh, you know he didn't want to use and had no warning from the, the front end folding. And that obviously just caused him to have a terrible Q1. And then obviously we all know what happened in the race, finished and last. Um, 
But yes, what you're talking about, the pressure. Um, I mean, he's still going to go to Aprilia with a good deal of pressure. He's going there with a massive amount to prove, for sure. Um, and I just honestly think it's more about um, finding a bike that he can deal with. If he can have a bike that is relatively okay to overtake on, then I think he could be okay. But, um, you know, the Aprilia is far from the finished package. And when you look at Alicia Spargro and some of his comments in recent mu- in recent weeks, about how he has lost out in fights and he hasn't really been able to overtake other riders because the Aprilia doesn't have the best traction when you compare it to the to the other bikes on the grid. I'm not sure. So yeah, as I said, lots of uh, lots of question marks. Uh, it, with hindsight, you could see that this had been coming because obviously we saw uh, what was it in Barcelona? All of a sudden. Um, Maverick turns up and he's lost his crew chief. Um, Esteban Garcia is gone, and we have Silvana Galbucera. Um, th- there is certainly Maverick made it clear that it wasn't his choice. Um, it seems to he, he said, you know, Yamaha changed my crew chief. They gave him Silvano uh, Galbucera. It, it really feels like. Um, I mean, yeah, there's there's talk that it was actually Garcia himself who who left, who just you know couldn't cope with it, uh, couldn't cope with it anymore. Um, the, the that team has never seemed like a happy unit. Um, if you look on the other side of the garage, Fabio Quartararo, Quartararo is in the garage a lot. Quartararo is there playing with his bikes. He's looking with his bikes. There's um, um, uh, Cormac Ryan Meenan got a um, uh, magnificent photo of, um, or a magnificent set of photos of uh, uh, Fabio Quartararo with the starter when they're warming the bikes up in the morning. He's out in the garage warming the bikes up. Mark Marquez is the same. Mark is always in the garage with his team. For a long time, he didn't have a motor home um because he spent all of his time in the garage so there was no point so really the the whole atmosphere has always been really really difficult we saw maverick come into when he first came to yamaha he won the first two races uh, he won his fifth race with yamaha and then after that he didn't win uh, hardly anything since then in the what is it uh 17 18 19 20 21 four and a half uh, seasons um he's only won another five races yeah, and I think um, one of the things that, that has been uh, angering Maverick has been that Fabric, Fabio Cordero has come in to Yamaha since 2019, um, has, let's say, the, the kind of traditional Yamaha riding style that, that is quite unique um, and is minimally, in some ways, quite similar to Jorge Lorenzo, who obviously the M1 is just perfect for. Um, and, and Yamaha are... are I've clearly been saying this is the way to go. This is the way to ride, and we know that Maverick is a bit more aggressive than that. Um, he is not super silky smooth rider. Um, he's quite aggressive in how he brakes. Um, even his body position on the bike is is definitely more aggressive than it is sort of languid and smooth. Um, and he's been saying that look for a few years now. I've been saying the same things over and over again. The same complaints. Um, yet I'm told that this is how you're supposed to ride. This is how you're supposed to set up the bike. Um, and um, yeah, uh, I guess after four and a half years, he's he's come to the conclusion that, uh, okay, well, it, it's kind of in some ways like Paul Espargaro. Uh, he had, what, three years on the, the Tech 3 Yamaha M1, and he just, he accepted that this isn't my bike. Um, and he went on to have, I think, a happier, a much happier time in KTM. Um, so maybe Maverick's looking at something like that and thinking, you know what, this is similar to me. Um, but uh, it also seems that there's a, a human element to 
uh, to this as well. It's not just about riding style. It's about some of Maverick's more kind of eccentric traits, I think, that uh, have caused this too. Obviously, Neil, the options available, you've already mentioned the Aprilia option. I heard this morning, once the news broke, uh, from a few people within within the MotoGP paddock about the Ducati rumour as well and potentially to be on the VR46 bike. So it does look like there's quite a lot of discussion going on about different things. Aprilia certainly looks like the, the clubhouse leader as it is right now. That's where everyone expects him to go on the basis of that's where we initially heard on Saturday. But when you look at uh, Vinales and the options available to him, what way do you see it falling? Um, I see it falling in the Aprilia camp to be honest um, Dave and I were talking about this earlier um, I mean he is one of the top riders um, you know top riders in MotoGP um, one of the most handsomely uh, paid riders on the grid um, and I think the thought of him going to a satellite team would be maybe a little bit strange um, and not even going to say like the Pramac Ducati team you know the kind of second Ducati squad um, the VR46 thing is obviously going to be well funded Um but um, yeah, there's a lot of question marks there. I mean, it's you know what would the bike spec be? Uh, who would his crew be? Uh, you know, would he want to work under Valentino Rossi's umbrella? Because let's face it, it always seemed to be a slightly uneasy existence in the factory Yamaha squad when Rossi was there. Um, at the same time as Maverick, um, and then it's the satellite team. You know, factory Aprilia team is basically something where he can have direct input to the bike and have the bike designed around his needs if. You know, if all things go to plan, um, so I would say that's interesting. Definitely the VR forty six thing, um, but I, I would be really, really surprised. But hey, I'm really, really surprised that he's leaving Yamaha at the end of this year. So who knows? Yeah, I think that for me was the big thing. And on Saturday we were talking about it on the pod, or at least on the Paddock Notes show, and we were talking in terms of this. Just it, it was such a bolt out of the blue not that he was leaving Yamaha but just that he would leave a year early end this contract I think we've we've talked about it at different times in the pod that you know Yamaha are going to have to face a decision about whether or not they want to keep that faith in Vinales going forward anyway that was a decision that was going to have to be made in all likelihood over the winter for Yamaha that decision's been made for them by Vinales and you know I I have to say like whenever the Aprilia stuff came out my first thought was like that just seems like such a big step into the unknown but like david said earlier on he clearly feels that he can't do anything with the yamaha anyway that's why you give up five million euros that's why you leave a contract like that that's why you leave that bike and you just try and move on give yourself a new situation i have to say until until i, I was chatting to a few people this morning about the the ducati side of it i had kind of i i had discredited that i didn't really think about it too much and then suddenly the more people i was talking to from within different different manufacturers it seemed to make more and more sense and you know we saw that weekend david when rossi was asked about his future and it looks like it's more and more pointed towards retirement but we also saw at the weekend that the saudis said if valentino isn't riding the bike we're not that interested in funding it so it's crucial for that team to be able to come up with a leading rider a top contender and suddenly vinales is on the market so two and two can Two and two can be put together and they come up with three, they come up with four, they come up with five in a situation like this. But, you know, for me, after having a few chats with a few different people that would be fairly well connected to it, I have to say it did lead me a little bit along the path towards Ducati. I mean, well, there's two things. First of all, um, for 
Maverick Vinales to go to uh, VR46, he would be on a satellite team. And Maverick Vinales is not a satellite rider. He's always been on a factory bike. He doesn't see himself as a satellite for rider. It's a huge, uh, it's an ego thing. However, Ducati can I, wanted... Can I just ask you something about the ego side then, David? Yeah. He's clearly admitted that he can't win on the bike that's leading the world championship, that his teammate has been able to be so dominant at this stage. Yeah, you're saying it completely wrong. He hasn't admitted that. What he said is Yamaha are not listening to him and not solving his problems. Otherwise, he would be beating his teammate uh, uh, because, you know, look, he was beating his teammate before when his teammate was Valentino Rossi. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it, I mean, it's always, it's always a matter of perspective and self-delusion, which is what riders are so incredibly good at. Um, so he has to accept that you know, he has to accept being a uh, being a satellite rider. That, that's already a big ask. Um, he has to uh, trust that Ducati will give people uh, uh, would give him the support they wanted. Uh, fortunately, he does have the example of Gian Zarka. I mean, you know, Gian Zarka. I think he's still second in the championship. Um, uh, he is uh, clearly doing extremely well on that bike. Um, uh, Ducati have made it very plain what that they will, you know, anyone who does well, they will get the support. Um, and obviously, uh, they tried to poach him at the beginning of 2020 uh, as well. You know, to, to uh, the whole reason he signed up so early back in January 2020 was because he was trying to be poached by by um, uh, by Ducati. And I think it's just interesting that um, Maverick has had uh, a new manager, um, Giovanni Balestra. Um, for the past couple of weeks. And also in Aston, we saw his dad um, hanging around the garage for the first time in a long time. Um, we know that Maverick has had a pretty troublesome and fracturous relationship with his dad um, through the years. I think his dad kind of went off the scene after the, the split with Blue since back in 2011. Um, sorry, 2012. Um, so that, I think, is... is mildly interesting as well have they played a role have they been in his ear has his dad kind of talked to him and said like look the only way is getting out of here um you know that's 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 pure speculation but it is interesting that these two figures have kind of become more central to maverick's world in the last couple of weeks and well look what's happened well you always should follow the money trail and the money trail is if a new manager comes in he's not getting 10 percent of next year's contract so he needs to find a new contract for Maverick. So get out of your current contract, mate. Let's get some money in. You cynic. <laughs> yeah, uh, cynical, but uh, certainly true. But the, I mean, the, the other problem is that, um, you know, Maverick Vinales, um, his environment, he does, he is a lot like um, uh, Jorge Lorenzo in the way that, uh, you know, he comes from a difficult background. Um, it's it's not a, a happy, healthy uh, um, sort of childhood. It was very, very focused. Um, he's a, a quite an insular figure. He doesn't have a strong support network around him. Um, that is much, much more difficult. I don't think, I, I think, you know, from a mental health perspective, I think he struggles a lot. He's also, ha he has no sense of perspective. Um, David Abrivio once told me that um, he... <clears throat> When Vinales came into MotoGP, his first race on the Suzuki, also a brand new motorbike, uh, he came in. He had a decent uh, uh, Qatar came in, had a uh, had a relatively decent uh, result, given that it was his first MotoGP race and the Suzuki's first uh, uh, full uh, MotoGP race, you know, full time. 
Um, uh, and he came into the garage and cried because he hadn't won it. He'd expected to win. This uh, demonstrates a complete lack of perspective, the inability to, uh, to, to, to get some kind of perspective. He's so driven by ambition that it becomes so it becomes really, really difficult to actually understand things. On the one on the one hand, that might actually speak for him going to VR forty six because you know obviously the Ducati is a good bike. It's clear it's the, a good bike, arguably the best bike on the grid. Um, uh, that there are so many people winning on it, and he's thinking, well, you know, Sean Zarco can do that on it, so can I. If Jack Miller can win on it, I, I can as well. It was also interesting that Jack Miller, um, because Jack Miller and Maverick Vinales shared a motorhome when they first came into MotoGP, they were uh, quite good friends. But Jack Miller was referring to him to uh, referring to him as the other guy um, uh, this weekend, which suggests that that is also a relationship which is um, uh, not stood the test of time. Neil, just to poke holes in in my own argument about uh, Maverick to VR46, like the VR46 Academy has obviously been set up over the last few years to make sure that you're able to bring through young Italian talent. You're trying to be able to find the next Valentino Rossi. If you did go and hire Vinales, that obviously goes outside of that structure. And it would be a surprise to a lot of people. But when you look at the VR46 Academy over the last few years, they shuttered their CEV team. They shuttered their Moto3 team. And uh, you know it, they have brought the, the focus an awful lot more in on just those top tier talents as well. It, it hasn't been what I think everyone expected it to be a few years ago. I mean, it's obviously doing ridiculously well in that um, in that Franco Morbidelli and Pekka Bagnaia have become absolutely top-level riders um, that are challenging for MotoGP race wins. Um, and, you know, a couple of the other guys, Marco Bezzecchi, I mean, Luca Marini, you know, these are these are guys that have risen or will rise to the very top very soon. Um, but, yeah, I mean, um, there, isn't a, there isn't a pipeline right the way down, although saying that, I've got a, a couple of handy riders in the CIV team um, that Pekka Benaya's dad is running. Um, but yeah, it would be a bit of a departure for them. I mean, it has always been their intention to have their own academy riders on the bike. But, you know, hey, money speaks, results speak. And, um, you know, Marini's had an all right rookie season so far, but he hasn't exactly been pulling up many trees. Marco Bezzecchi hasn't exactly been pulling up trees in Moto2 either. So, um, you know, it, uh, you can always make exceptions if uh, there is the promise of potential race wins. Yeah, you can make exceptions for exceptional talent. And David, you just before we take an ad break on the show, you mentioned at the top of the show that your blog for Adams Magazine is going to be about the impact of Vinales leaving on the other manufacturers as well. What's this going to mean for Yamaha? Obviously, we expect Franco Morbidelli is going to be promoted onto a factory seat, could potentially leave two seats available at Petronas. Yeah, I mean Franco's on a contract with, uh, with with Petronas as well, so that makes things extra complicated. Um, uh, he would get promoted. Uh, that leaves two seats in the uh, in the Petronas Yamaha team. Petronas have always said, uh, you know, or, or well, they've been saying in recent years, look, we are a junior team, we're a young team. Our job is to bring uh, bring in young young talent, which is exactly what they did with Franco Morbidelli and, and Fabio Quartararo. Um, it was one of the reasons why Raslan Rosali, the uh, team principal, was uh, not in any way. Um, uh, charmed of the idea of having uh, Valentino Rossi in the team. Um, it's why he sort of, you know, rejected ideas of, of having older ideas uh, in there. They want 
young riders uh, coming into the team, uh, Andrea Dovizioso is going to be available because it seems that uh, Dovizioso is um, not at all inclined to go uh, ride for Aprilia, which is also rather worrying because... Uh, as I understand it, Dovizioso has sort of seen the organisational chaos that is at uh, Aprilia and decided that he doesn't want any any part of that. The bike is good, uh, the the team not so much. Um, that I think is is what he's worrying about. But Dovizioso is not going to go into Patronus, even though he'd be fantastic because uh, he's too old. But then who do you put on the uh, bike? I think Steve, um, you might uh, uh, you might be losing some of your riders. You know, Toprak, Toprak Razgot Lioglu, uh, that would be. Uh, that would certainly be someone who'd be interesting. Garrett Gerloff came in and did a very commendable job. Um, uh, I think Dorna would be delighted to have an American uh, on the grid. And of course, uh, if there's two seats open at, uh, at Petronas, then you could, and you've got one good rider on there, then you could uh, take a risk on uh, Jake Dixon, keep BT Sport happy with uh, having a British rider on the uh, on the grid and uh, and see what happens. You know, despite the fact that Dixon's results... This year have been have, well have been have left wanting. Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, my blog for Adam this month I wrote it back in three weeks ago or two weeks ago after the Mizano ran the superbike saying it'd be a crying shame if Top Rack doesn't get a Patronus Yamaha seat and then suddenly two become available. So it'd be even more of a shame if it didn't happen now for Top Rack because I think he's shown this year just how big of a step he's made. And I've, I've talked about him a lot in the pod over the last couple of couple of months, just in terms of the improvements he's made. I would have liked to have seen him be on the Tech 3 KTM bike just because he's Red Bull backed, he's Turkish, he's fast. It can work or it won't work, but you want to see if he can do it. Now there's an opportunity for him to stay within the Yamaha family. Obviously, Toprak has said he wants to win a, a World Superbike title. Yamaha wants to be able to win a championship out there. But if you've got the opportunity available to be a MotoGP rider on a good bike with a factory-supported contract, I think it's such a good opportunity. It'd be, it'd be a real shame if it didn't happen for Toprak. And the big stumbling point could well be Keenan Safogdu. Keenan, of course, the manager and mentor of Toprak, he's always been very adamant that he saw a superbike future for Toprak. He wanted him to be the first Turkish superbike world champion. And, you know, maybe Keenan doesn't want him to to have an opportunity to to go to a good seat in MotoGP and wants to focus on on winning a superbike title. So I think for Toprak, there is going to be an opportunity there. But his problem is Garrett Gordoff's had two opportunities on that bike. That can give him a leg up to be able to get a seat like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, apart from the fact that we've got the clash of the sugar waters with uh, Yamaha being all in with Monster and uh, Toprak very much being a Red Bull. Uh, to, to be honest, okay. Dave, this was an issue when Toprak signed for Yamaha in World Superbikes. And as far as I can tell, Yamaha told him that he had to terminate his contract with Red Bull because when you look across Supercross, Motocross, MotoGP, World Superbikes for the last few years, Yamaha riders have always been backed by Monster. And it was a big issue for them. And from everything I understand, Top Rack, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll look into that. We'll look into that. He arrived at his first test still with a Red Bull helmet. And then suddenly it was like, you know what? He's actually pretty good. We can make an exception for him. Now, whether or not they would still make an exception in MotoGP is a different story. But the other side of that coin as well is he's on a Patronus bike. He's on a satellite bike. You know, how big is the sticker? How big is the, the check that comes in from Monster for a satellite bike? It's not like it is for the, the Monster Energy factory Yamaha seat. 
Yeah. Also, again, the relationship with uh, between him and Keenan Sofwoglu is also uh, an interesting one. And yeah, if Keenan decides that he doesn't want uh, Top Rack in MotoGP, but Top Rack says, "Hang on a minute, no, what about me? What about what I want? Uh, I want to go to MotoGP because you know Top Rack really does look like uh, the kind of rider who would want to come to MotoGP, and it'd be interesting to see. Him, although uh, I'm not sure he could afford the fines for doing stoppies in pit lane. Um, uh, it were yeah. Yeah, it, it, it could we see a split there? Could we see you know Keenan saying don't go, Top Rack going well, uh, sod you, I'm going, and and see how that works out. Just out of curiosity, Jack Miller does quite a few stoppies as well, so it should be fine for Top Rack. <laughs> MotoGP contracts earn more money as well, so I'm sure the fines will be covered for him. We're going to take a break on the Paddock Pass podcast, and we'll come back after the break. We're going to actually get to discuss the Dutch TT and Fabio Quattararo's great win. Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen-compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Fly Racing and Rental. We're halfway through the show now, boys, and finally... We're going to be able to talk about the actual racing. And uh, Neil, what was your big talking point for the weekend? What was your big takeaway? Um, I mean, my big takeaway was probably uh, Joanne Mayer's performance in third. Um, and I mean, you know, Fabio Quartararo rode a, a superb race. Um, he did the things that Maverick Vinales wasn't able to do. Um, it was a real nice contrast in uh, the, the kind of the, the approach and the strengths of, of the two riders. I mean, Pekka Banyaya did a, a sensational job of, of holding... Uh, Quadraro up and, and basically trying not to let him pass. Quadraro tried a, a few times at the, the GT chicane to get by and Peko just accelerated by him uh, down the front straight. Um, and, you know, Fabio's move around the outside uh, on the exit of uh, Move and Mir. Uh, Dave, correct my uh, pronunciation if you want to. Yeah, Move and Mir, but quite good. Not bad. Okay. Uh, yeah. Albatross Lake, Seagull Lake. That's the one. Yes. Um, I mean, it was a great move, sensational, and then he just, uh, you know, quickly set about building up a, a really substantial lead. Uh, had a bit of an issue with his, I think, a tricep in his right arm. We were a bit um, confused and a bit concerned about Fabio saying after the race he had pains in his right his right arm, and we all thought, okay, arm pump. But he said it was actually an issue with his tricep. Um, a few riders were actually complaining about arm pump as well. So that was super impressive. Fabio's fourth win of the season. Um, definitely has been the best rider in the first half of this year, but. I think we have to also uh, pay special mention to Tranmere just because it was uh, another battling performance. Um, and Suzuki has clearly um, uh, maintained or retained uh, the flaws of last year's machine. Um, and you seem could be said for someone like Franco Mobidelli or Maverick Grignales, um in their eyes. And while they have managed to kind of lose focus and, and lose motivation i think mir has done a, a pretty stellar job in the first half of this year of just continuing to get the best out of his package from the place that he's qualified in um so for Mir to come through get a third place still 55 points back in the championship that's not a million miles away um i thought that was a uh, an excellent performance from the suzuki man 
You said um, uh, that Fabio showed that he could do what Maverick uh, couldn't do. And obviously what you mean by that is overtake because um, uh, that is the one thing which Maverick Vinales just can't do. It was why he finished last at uh, at the Saxon ring, uh, even though both Valentino Rossi and... um, uh, uh, and Frank and Morbidelli said they had they had a similar they had similar issues, um, but yeah, I mean, Valentino Rossi managed to overtake it. He, you know, he, he had a, got a terrible start, um, a drop back a long way, and then still managed to make up a few places before he uh, before he crashed out. Fabio Quartararo's passes on uh, on Banyaya were just sublime. Um, Banyaya rode an absolutely fantastic race, one of the most one of the best defending races. Reminded me a lot of. Um, Andrea Dovizioso to an extent because Dovizioso used to do exactly the same sort of thing um, uh, th- that was a superb race but Fabio Quartararo found a way past that I think was really really strong um, and also I think the difference between Quartararo and Vinales uh, th- that's why Quartararo is leading the championship that's why he can win uh, because he can figure something out yeah 34 point lead now for Quartararo over Johan Zarco and Neil, just a quick question for you. Was Fabio Quattraro's celebration the shittest celebration you've ever seen or the best shit celebration you've ever seen? Uh, probably the best shit celebration. I actually thought that was quite funny. He's poking fun at his uh, best mate, Tom, um, after his uh, less than impressive golfing skills uh, prior to this race. So I thought um, I thought this one actually wasn't so bad. I was delighted. I was delighted because it, you know, it made golf look exactly the way it really is, which is a complete waste of time. Well, I'll be honest, I'm sitting here looking at my golf trophy and uh, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, golf's literally been the only thing that's put a trophy on my mantelpiece. So golf's great, Dave. But uh, when you look at uh, the weekend as a whole for Fabio, this was super impressive for him. We've, we've mentioned Vinales for his future, but not really about his, his weekend performance as well. Vinales was first or second all the way through the weekend, Fabio pretty much the same. But when it came down to it, Fabio was able to make a good start and he was able to keep himself at the front of the field. And this was the kind of ride that you need to be able to put together on what could be tough days. And uh, that's what a champion has to do. Yeah, that's why he's, you know, that, that's exactly why he's, um, uh, why he's leading the championship because, you know, he can find that little bit extra. He can find, uh, he can invent ways of doing it. And and everyone was complaining about uh, things, uh, about it being difficult to uh, to pass. Miguel Oliveira was saying the same, you know, like it, it, he was finding it really difficult to overtake just because everyone was absolutely on the limit. And you saw how much faster um, uh, Fabio Quattararo was once he actually got past Banya because all of a sudden he was going from sort of mid-30s threes uh, uh into the 32s and he was you know the first the 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 first rider to they, they shattered the the race lap record um i think most of his laps were done under the existing race lap record um he was it was just a very very impressive controlled ride did everything right yeah halfway through the season fabio the only rider that scored points in every race so far this season so that's why you're able to open up a lead like that at the top of the standings. David, what about you, though? What was your big talking point from the weekend? Well, my big talking point was uh, a... a Someone we all uh, well, someone we all know uh, was telling us that um, he was convinced that Mark Marcus was going to win um, uh, before the race, and I thought that's a bit optimistic. Not here. I mean, Saxon Ring, sure, okay, he can do that, um, but uh, this is a different track. He, his arm will be hurting. He, uh, you know, it's not all left-handers. There's much more right-handers. There's lots of really hard changes of direction. 
which are physically very, very demanding to manage. And when you're not perfectly comfortable on the bike. Uh, also, he had that massive, massive high side on Friday. Um, one of the scariest high sides we've seen forever. And, and uh, afterwards, he complained about HRC saying, you know, this was an attraction control problem. Attraction control should have, should have caught that. Uh, and we need to fix that. The next day he, he said, um, I'm really pleased with Honda because they have fixed it. Um, so it, uh, that was good. Um, I understand also that Mark believed that he could win. Um, I mean, he didn't uh, win. He ended up sort of stuck on the back of the group, but he still came through. And uh, from, what was it? Where did he start? The 20th, 20th or 21st? Yeah, 20th, his worst ever qualifying. Uh, he comes through, finishes uh, seven, uh, uh, seventh, um, just behind uh, Paco Banyai. So it, uh, it was an outstanding ride given all of it. I think he was... 12th or 11th at the end of the first lap uh that it was sort of vintage marcus and i think um it's going to be quite terrifying at the end of uh or when we come back from the second half uh, for the second half of the season uh with a much much fitter mark marcus he said he was going to go away and uh, spend a lot more time riding a bike uh that was his big thing was just to get start riding bikes again and i think once he starts riding bikes again then uh yeah the rest of the field better look out yeah, I agree with you, Dave. I thought it was a, a brilliant ride. Um, I think the person that you had been speaking to who had been advising you might have been uh, just a little bit pig-headed just to try and uh, wind you up ever so slightly. Uh, no, he, he wouldn't do that. He's such a sweet man. Um, yes, but I think it was uh, it was a superb ride. Um, it's one of those situations where, um, you know, you know, Mark justifiably could have walked away from the weekend and said, you know what, like, I'm not getting on that thing when it's going to spit me off whenever what he said was an electronics issue. And, you know, he, he was badly banged up. I mean, um, there's a great shot by uh, our Czech photographer colleague, uh, Václav Dushka, of Mark riding back to the, the pits after the fall. And, I mean, he looks like, obviously, he's in severe, severe discomfort. I think he played down just how much discomfort he was in. Um, and afterwards... Yeah, he was saying that it was the first time that they've raced at a clockwise track or a, cl a track with a clockwise layout and that he's felt actually pretty good at the end. And um, although he didn't have anything for Pekka Banyaya, he was in a great uh, duel with Alicia Spargo throughout, managed to pass Spargo at the last chicane on the last lap. Um, so, yeah, I would I would be pretty pretty um, pretty wary of Mark. You know, the Honda brought new chassis. He felt that that was an improvement. He raced with that. Um it was the first thing since his return that Honda have brought something that has actually improved the bike. They're not going to have a chance to refine that over the uh, the summer break. They have the the kind of figurehead um, back in their team. And uh, yeah, I think Mark is going to be a real force in the second half of the year. Maybe the championship will be just out of reach because he's, what, 105 points back um, just now. Um, but so I think the second half of the season, the championship uh, deficit is 106 points back now of Cordero. I mean, that might be just a bit too much to overcome, but I think we're going to see Mark uh, rack up quite a few victories in the second half of this year. Yeah, I think the championship might be out of uh, out of reach, but you wouldn't be surprised if he finished second and it was a lot more, a lot closer than we think it's going to be now. Yeah, the one thing with Mark is he's always liable to be able to go on a big winning spree whenever he's able to get himself back to full fitness. I think for me, my big talking point from the weekend was probably actually 
Ducati as well, because I thought Peko Bagnaia did a really good race. Obviously, he had his long lap penalty, but uh, I thought he was able to come away with a decent ride there. Johan Zarco did a really good job of damage limitation as well, Dave. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I think uh, Peko Bagnaia's ride precisely demonstrated the problems which Ducati had at the track, which is that those really fast changes of direction, uh, that bike is still quite heavy and quite difficult to get to, to, to go to sort of flick from left to right. It won't uh, do what the Yamahas will do or what the Suzuki's will do. Um, it still does some things really, really well, which is, you know, accelerate uh, out of, uh, out of slow corners and the way that they just sort of blew past everyone, uh, on the front straight, despite the fact, I think the, the front straight at Aston is only about four or 500 meters, uh, maybe 400 meters, I think. So it's not really a very long, uh, it's not really very long at all. And yet he still managed to just, just destroy everyone there. Um, and then manage the, uh, uh manage them, uh, the rest of the way around. Uh, the, the Ducati is a much, much better bike, but it still has this weakness. This, it's not that it doesn't want to turn the way that it used to in the past, but it is more difficult, more physical to manhandle, uh, from right to left and from left to right. Those fast changes of direction are what the Ducati does not do particularly well still. Um, and I, I mean, Pekka Banyar rode superbly. He managed to get the best out of it. Uh, Jean Zarco, um, uh, again, Jean Zarco is just sort of, he's looking a bit, he's, lo he's looking very Juan Mir. Uh, you know, he's just always there in the background. We're going to finish off as usual with winners and losers from this weekend's Grand Prix. But uh, Neil, I'm going to start off with you. Who was your big winner from this weekend? Uh, I think my big winner is going to be, I mean, I've mentioned Juan Mir. Obviously, I thought he was uh, very impressive, but I think I'm going to go with uh, Joanne Zarco, just because um, it was, uh, you know, Ducati's worst uh, track or one of Ducati's worst tracks, one of the, the historical tracks that they've had uh, difficulties at. And, um, you know, Zarco came home with a fourth place. You know, yes, he lost ground to um, to Fabio Quartararo in the championship battle, but um, he didn't lose massive amounts of ground. Um, you know, Jack Miller had an unfortunate crash out. That was really costly for his championship. Pekka Banyai made the mistake, had to do a long lap penalty, lost some positions. Um, but Zarco, considering where he was on Saturday morning, he had to come through Q1. Uh, I really liked how he dealt with Marc Marquez trying to follow him in Q1. And then he qualified well, raced well. Um, Zarco hasn't been weak anywhere we've gone um, and you have to think with a couple of races at the Red Bull Ring coming up um, you know could you know Zarko's Zarko's in this for the long haul right I mean I, I don't see him really going away in the second half of this year um, so yeah I think Zarko um, for this weekend and for you know the first half of the season as all I think has been really impressive yeah can't argue too much with that David what about you who's your big winner I think my big winner is um, uh, Pedro Acosta, who literally, literally went from uh, the hospital to fourth place. Uh, he had that massive crash uh, in, I think, FP3, um, and uh, uh, where he was literally ridden, you know, someone r rode over him um, in a stupid, stupid incident as well typical moto 3 uh, uh, typical moto 3 incident um but he started at the back of the grid or close to the back of the grid i think 28th something like that quite a quite a long way back 18th. Uh, uh, eight, oh, 18th okay still quite a long way back 
came from a long way uh, through the field, rode a really, really impressively strong race. Uh, they only released him from the hospital uh, in the morning, even though he said he felt uh, fine, um, and then uh, finished fourth. It was uh, and. What happens? Uh, he extends his his lead in the championship. So yeah, I think uh, I think Pedro Acosta comes out of that quite well. Yeah, and obviously enough, we'll be able to talk about that during the course of the follow up show later in the week, where we'll look at the Moto Two and Moto Three classes. I think for me, my big winner was Lynn Jarvis because Fabio Quattararo wins the race, extends his championship lead. Everything's perfect, and then the Vinales conundrum has just been solved for him. Yamaha aren't able to figure out how to get the best results out of him over a full season. Now they don't have that that headache going forward. They're able to look at it and say, let's bring Franco on to the factory seat potentially. We know he's a, a good rider that can get the most out of that bike. And now it's just a case of trying to make sure that you tick the boxes with Franco. So for me, Yamaha was the big winner on, on track and off track this weekend. Neil, what about uh, a big loser from the weekend? Who, who are you picking? A uh, big loser, I think, has to be, well... I mean, um, you know, Jack Miller had a, an unfortunate crash out. That didn't really help his championship, obviously speaking. Um, I mean, you could obviously say Vinales was the big loser just because of everything that's gone on. Um, but I think Paulus Bargro is probably going to be my big loser just because, um, I mean, 10th place, was an, it was another tough race for him. 18 seconds off the race winner, um, 8 seconds off his teammate. Uh, he's been beaten by his teammate in every race that... Um, Mark has finished since he came back and you know Paul was pretty positive pretty upbeat very fast on Friday um, yet uh, that kind of deserted him completely on Saturday um, and uh, you know Sunday he was he was nowhere near the fight he couldn't uh, he just couldn't live with Mark in those early laps ended up dropping back to 10th um, and he's just been you know very kind of sad and depressed figure for the best part of uh, the last two months um, so it's it, it's it's tough for Paul um, at the moment and uh, you know he's saying that he's basically just lacking experience but um, looking at the goals that he set for himself at the start of this season you know he's quite a far bit below that can you remind me what happened roughly two months ago? Was there, you know, a change to the team that uh, happened about two months ago? I'm, I'm not entirely clear to Paul's team to pull, well, to the Repsol Honda team, shall we say? To employee number 44. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a certain someone came back, you mean, from uh, that's, uh Yeah, I'm just wondering if this is at all related, how um, uh, Paul Espargaro went from quite cheerful to uh, the the second most depressed man on the grid behind. Yes, it's almost like there's, there's some correlation there. Yeah, 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 I'm sure. But as we all know, correlation is not causation. David, what about you? Who was your big loser from the weekend? I mean, uh, the obviously, I mean, it would be easy to choose Maverick Vinales, but then on the other hand, Maverick Vinales got out of a contract that he no longer no longer wanted to be in, so perhaps that's unfair. I think it's, it has to be Valentino Rossi. We've just had this run of tracks of his favourite tracks, the tracks that he's best at, the tracks where he's dominated in the past. Uh, uh, Jerez, Le Mans, uh, Mugello, Barcelona, Assen. These are the tracks that he loves. They, you know, he, he used to dominate these uh, the, these tracks. These were the tracks that he was pinning his future on. Um, if he could have good results here, then the choice to continue would be justified. He's been nowhere. And, you know, he crashed out. He got a horrific start. Um, his pace wasn't bad through the weekend. But again, like, not bad. It's, it's not bad enough for uh, for him now. Uh, so it, it seems that, or it's, I mean, 
I'm sort of 99% convinced that um, uh, we will get a, a an announcement probably just before um, uh, just before the or at the Austria round saying that Valentino Rossi has decided to retire. The and Assen was just the icing on the cake, you know, terrible start, crashing out, uh, all the rest of it, mediocre pace. It was just it was not what he wanted if he wanted to continue racing. So I think he has he was. Uh, he had his face rubbed in the reality of of where he is right now, uh, and he's not getting any younger. So I think he has to accept that he. Uh, I think this was the weekend where he had to accept that he, that he has to retire. Yeah, I think this. And um, we've talked about it quite a bit on the pod over the last few years that a lot of elite athletes get retired rather than choose to retire. I think Valentino was in that little bit of a halfway house between the two of them, but. It definitely looks a lot closer now than it did even just a couple of months ago. I think for me, my big loser from the weekend was, and it's a bit unfortunate, Alex Rins, because it wasn't really anything he could do. He has a, a racing clash with Johan Zarco, but when your luck's out, your luck's out. And rinsey has got no luck at all at the minute. And he ends up, he does a good recovery ride, comes away with five points, had good pace all the way through the weekend as well at different times. I thought that it wasn't too bad from Rins especially whenever you consider you know, he's only a week back from his injury as well. But uh, I think this was one of those cases where it just goes to show that when the momentum's working against you, you really need to get to that summer break as quickly as possible. Rins has done that. He's got a chance to re- regroup, recover, and uh, try and do something in the second half of the year. Yeah, Alex Rins didn't think it was an, a, a racing incident. Uh, when we said, so what happened today? He said, you mean what happened with Mr. Johan? Um, yeah, I think he called it idiotic. Um, he was absolutely steaming about it. You know, he um, uh, it was an overly aggressive move. He says, you know, Zarko's a really aggressive rider. Uh, he's too aggressive. So, yeah, he was he was absolutely steaming about it. And he said, but he was, it was a really good ride by, um, uh, it was a really good ride by Rins once he, got back on but you know he was forced out of a very strong position yeah mr david is that what we're gonna have to call you now as well (laughs) it would make a change yeah you're definitely called a lot of things very rarely something as respectful as that neil obviously we're into the five week summer break for MotoGP now and uh, what's your plan for us oh well um yeah not a great deal steve i mean uh finish up the work from aston and then take you know at least a week off i think um just be in barcelona for a couple of weeks be at home see friends see my girlfriend and um yeah relax man uh that is definitely the order of the day probably get up the uh, up the coast for a few days and uh get to the nice uh, beaches on the costa brava um but uh yeah we'll be back each week with some high quality content we've got some ideas stored up for the show over the summer month yeah plenty of interviews coming up over the next few weeks neil's sat down with remy gardner at one stage I've got a couple of interviews with the likes of Johnny Ray coming up and Alex Lowe's. And uh, we've got a few other special shows planned as well over the course of the summer break. Mr. David, though, uh, Neil's obviously said he's going to be in Barcelona. He'll hang out with his girlfriend. Mrs. Emmett gets back from her holiday now in the next couple of days. And uh, that means that you have to ship the girlfriend out now. (laughs) I really uh, no girlfriends. No. Uh, no, that would. Um, I'm way too old for that nonsense. Um, uh, obviously, that sound you can hear is the sound of a million breaking hearts. Um, as uh, uh, the women who, uh, as the Paddock Pass podcast female listeners find out that Neil Morrison has a girlfriend. Um, and that David Emin has a wife. He, <laughs> 
um uh, no i mean like uh, uh, my wife has been off working so uh, she's been uh, she's been elsewhere she's coming back and um, uh, we're going to go uh, actually hopefully go off on a uh, holiday once we can figure out where we can actually go we we were hoping to actually get over to ireland so that would be nice um but that would involve traveling through uh, the united kingdom which at the moment is not the easiest of things so at some point we will visit somewhere which is not home well, I'll tell you what, Dave, I've already got the barbecue started up. I've actually learned how to do a lot of vegetarian dishes on it as well. So I can definitely cater for yourself and Rosa if you do decide to come over to Ireland. We've obviously got World Superbikes next week as well, Donington Park. And uh, we'll be back from Donington, myself and Gordo with the Superbike show. We're going to be able to keep the content rolling all the way through the summer break. Obviously, five weeks for MotoGP, a little bit of a stint off. But we're going to be able to have plenty of content on the Paddock Pass podcast over the course of the next couple of weeks as well. So keep an eye on patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass podcast. We've got the extra show just for our Patreon supporters. And then obviously over the course of the season throughout uh, the year, we have the Paddock Notes show as well for MotoGP race weekends where you're able to listen to Neil, David, myself and Adam as we get a Zoom call straight after the debriefs to get everyone up to speed as quickly as possible. So check out patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass podcast. And from all of us on the Paddock Pass podcast team, a big thank you for listening to today's show. This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Libertines. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. I don't win many trophies, Dave, but I won this trophy. What is it? Uh, it's a debating trophy from 1996 and being the runner-up in the school debates. And what an honor it is. Yay, Steve's number two.